I always have to give him a pro tip when the priest raises his hand to give you absolution. Don't high five him. Yeah. So <laughs> many people high five the priest. are like, yeah. yay, thank you for affirming we me. Did like, we did it. We did it. We did this together. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Every Knee Shall Bow, your seasonal Catholic podcast on evangelization. My name is Michael Gomer Gormley, and I am joined by Dave the Diamond Forger Van Vickle. How are you doing, Dave? Good. Where'd that come from? That's uh, uh, It literally came from the show notes. So oh. the person who wrote, wrote in this question <laughs> that we're going to be doing today, that was what they wrote. Maybe they're really into Minecraft. Do you ever play Minecraft? No. Come on. You know, I made... Do you know what Minecraft is? I, th- I think my kids play... I think that... My son Judah plays it. Maybe yeah. oh, is it a okay. Switch thing? Is that a Switch thing? It's it's an everything thing. It's okay. on everything. It's okay. on every platform imaginable. But okay. everything is blocks, and you mine, and then you combine the things, you craft in order to make other things. And so it's it's fascinating what people have made. Like they they built Asgard from the Marvel Cinematic oh, really? Studios. Like yeah, they built. Uh, my favorite thing that my kids showed me. They built. Um, Oh, what was it? It was the Rohan. Yeah. Cool. And uh, Lord of the Rings, they built the little hilltop kingdom. Yeah. So funny. But anywho, the, uh, I, I used to play. I used to play Minecraft because I wanted to play with a game that's nonviolent with my kids. And uh, one day, <laughs> there's a podcast called Hardcore History, which is one of the most popular podcasts of all time. And they had this episode called Blueprint to Armageddon about World War I. It's their most popular one. It's incredible. Each episode is four hours long. Okay. And I put it on double speed, put my phone, because I didn't have a Bluetooth speaker or headphones at the time, put my phone on my chest, <laughs> fired up <laughs> Minecraft. Are you serious? And and I played Minecraft for probably probably four hours straight. So I was able to crush like two episodes because I had it on double speed. And then I went back into the and I was like, I have achieved Zen. <laughs> <laughs> that's ridiculous. I got problems. I got problems. You're the diamond forger. I mean, that's on you. Yeah. Right. Uh, so how you been? How you doing, man? Yeah. Uh, it's I, I. I'm. I'm surviving. That's the way I feel this mm. month. Which is the way kind of you kind of look like you're just surviving right now. You're. You seem tired. Man, I went to the Holy Land. I know. It was awesome. Days one through five, Galilee. Six and seven, Jordan. And then, uh, then we get to Jerusalem after making a pit stop in Jericho, as one does. Yeah. And I was sick for the whole rest of the time. It was awful. I was so sick uh, for two and a half days. I didn't leave my hotel. Then I got up enough strength to go to do the the Via Della Rosa, the the Way of the Cross, and then go to the Holy Sepulcher. Yeah. But you do that super early in the morning, right. at like five thirty. We were there. Came back, and they all had breakfast and stuff. And then um, I was like, "Can't do it. Can't do it, man." Stayed back in my hotel for the next day, and then they all left and went to Bethany, and then the Dead Sea. And I was so feeling just wiped and terrible, but I was like, I have to get out of this hotel room. So I hiked to Gethsemane and I spent an hour and a half in prayer. I love it. There. I did all this stuff. I wouldn't have traded it for the world. It was so beautiful. All the tourists, you know, that came in, they were all pilgrims at that one hour. I was there, right? Everyone came in was either Orthodox or Eastern or they were Catholic because of how they did the sign of the cross, right? But they came in, they blessed themselves. They sat down, they were dead silent. They prayed. 
Yeah. No one came in and was like, Marta, Marta, get the iPad out and take a picture. So <laughs> it was it was time that I needed, and all I did while I was there was just prayed for my wife. Yeah. And uh, she needed it, and I needed to do it. So that's it. Yeah. That's all I did. And, but I am still. And now you're I tired. Bunch of, I could see. I'm so tired. I could I'm see. a sleepy little gomer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we had a crazy month, too, here. Just lots of, like, just tons of sickness in the house and all that kind of stuff so it's been it's been uh we've been fighting for sure yeah but um yeah i mean i'm happy to be back on the episodes with you i'm especially happy to do a listener question episode yeah it's gonna be good and just want to say one funny thing so i listened so you know we're all out of time these are episodes out of time we're not recording this and then releasing it (laughs) three days later like we used to do so folks listening we are batch recording we try our best to batch record and bundle interviews and all this stuff so that we can get this done and get this good content out and actually plan things. So it's been great. But when you hear this, it'll probably be like February. So right now we're recording on November 8th and uh, we just had a wonderful interview. I just did a wonderful interview with um, Andrew, Dr. Andrew Swafford yesterday. That was great. Loved it. Loved chit-chatting with him. But uh, by the time folks hear this, it's going to be like months and months later. So we got a whole host of of people that are coming through that we're going to be interviewing. We're writing down our, our new curriculum for the next batch recording on a fly up and see Dave in January. And we're going to record all this stuff in Ascension Press's new studio, which is awesome. Awesome. So it's in Minnesota they, in January. I, okay. So I miss snow. You get it. I don't, <sighs> I want to be a tourist with snow, not a pilgrim. <laughs> yeah. I wear shorts yes. 365 days a year, pretty much my friends. So, no, I know, I know. It's the body hair that keeps you warm. <laughs> uh, but like Dave said, today is going to be a listener question episode. You wrote in questions in these past um, few months, and we're gonna we're gonna go through them. We're gonna answer your questions, and we want everyone to have an opportunity as we go through this stuff. Some of this is like like we want to crowdsource evangelization, and what I mean by that is you have unique cases out there and difficulties and issues and we all want to be in this project together thinking through how do we bring people into the light of Christ and the joy of the gospel. And so some of your questions are pretty intense and so we're going to try to get through as many as we can today. We will also want to devote several episodes. So if you have questions spurred on by anything that we've talked about, uh please email us at eksb at ascensionpress.com, eksb at ascensionpress.com and that goes to all of us our, our our podcast team and me and dave we get to see the stuff and then they put them all and organize them all for us because me and dave are though we read all of our emails uh that's about where it stops so uh yeah. we want they they help us out and we we want to get through as many of them as we can so be sure to do that eksb at ascensionpress.com and maybe your question will be featured on our listener episode it'll be good dave <laughs> first question uh, wait, which one do we want to do first? Sorry. You you go. You go. You pick, baby. You All right. Pick, baby. All right. We're going to go with evangelizing to agnostics and atheists. Oh, this is where the Dave the Diamond Forger came from. <laughs> Good job, Alexander. Okay. This comes from Alexander. He says, in regards to agnostics, atheists, fallen away Christians, assuming they reach a point where they start to feel that yearning for that love for God and a belief settles in, what advice do you have for planting seeds for Christianity? especially helping them to go towards Catholicism rather than a non-denominational parish. I have one friend in particular who I helped to become Christian after previously being agnostic, but when he asked about Catholicism, he was hung up on rules or doctrine he disagreed with. And my answers probably fell short on why we believe what we do, 
where now he is a non-denominational Christian. I'd still call that a huge win, but looking for advice on how I might do a better job in those earlier conversations to plant seeds for Catholicism for when they start to explore Christianity. Any thoughts, ideas, traps to avoid in general for talking to the millennial and Gen X fallen away Christian slash agnostic demographics are welcome. Mm. Yeah. I like this because I do too. it's specifically Catholic. One of the things that I find just as a preliminary note is uh, many people who are seeking faith in Christ or who you're, you're having these conversations with, they don't have any explicit religious faith. Non-denominationalism is, is appealing because it seems like uh, the next step from mere Christianity, right? Mere Christianity, right. defending the divinity of Christ, defending the resurrection, defending the basic tenets of Christianity comes from C.S. Lewis's famous book called Mere Christianity. C.S. Lewis says mere Christianity is but the hallway. You got it. No one lives in a hallway. You live in the bedroom. In the bedroom are the different denominations, and only you can make the decision for yourself. But uh, this is what the hallway has in common. And I feel like for a lot of people trying to go, like you're defending mere Christianity. And then you go to a non-denom church and it seems like, oh, well, this is a, that's all they believe. Like Jesus did this stuff. I have faith in Jesus and I live this kind of right. life. And then therefore, yeah, that makes sense. So the preliminary note is, okay, well, what about the Catholic thing? And I think that it, it actually does take more effort, but I think, yeah, um, yeah I think, I, I think we can unpack this. I think, I think yeah, that's I, good. That's yeah. And I, I like taking more effort. I think one of the things to do is not sell Jesus cheaply. Yeah. Right in the beginning, like to make sure that you give him a full, the full force of his message and who he is. I think that's one of the things to start out with in the beginning, because there is a real tendency. I have noticed this so much with people I'm working with in the last like eight months. There is a tendency to get to, okay, I've made it. Like I have enough knowledge. I have enough, uh, you know, I'm, I'm able to hold on to this. I'm able to live a Christian life. And there is this tendency to kind of like want to be done in a certain sense with yeah. getting the knowledge you need and and stuff like that. So I would say at the beginning, like, make sure that you realize, like, it's you know that you're 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 bringing them on a journey as opposed to a destination because you definitely don't want them to think like, okay, I've accepted the truth and it's over, I'm good, everything's great, because uh, that's not who Jesus is, right? He's a complicated. It's a complicated topic. <laughs> it's complicated. So one of the ways, just talking methodologically, when I evangelize people who are atheists um, and our conversations that we have, part of it is they have to get over or we have to address the baggage of Catholicism because we have right. 2,000 years of, of poor decisions, right? We really do. We import 2,000 years of, of bishops, priests, deacons, laity, kings, queens, all the stuff of, of, of men behaving badly. Let's put it that way. And um, so you have to address that. But a church that's 10 years old, I remember one time at Bishop Kelly Catholic High School in Tulsa, Oklahoma, where I went in ninth grade, we had to do a uh, church history class freshman year. Yeah, my freshman year. And this one girl was in the class. She was a really good friend of mine. And she looked at me and she said, you know, I'm kind of jealous of you Catholics. I said, why is that? And she said, you have all these courses and books written about church history. All I know about my church's history is what's in this brochure. Yeah. Right. So I say that because for some people, the, the baggage of just saying the inquisition, the crusades right. is enough to scare people away from Catholicism. So if, if you were doing this, one of the things that I do is uh, strategically, right, is connect creation 
to incarnation to the church. What I mean by that is Jesus Christ is the word of God through whom all of creation came into being. Then the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So in between those two poles is the history of Israel. This is God choosing a people to be particular to himself, right? So when Christ comes into the world, I, I think I've said this before on the show, probably a thousand times. Uh, the story of the gospel is two stories coming together. One, it's the story of the fullness of Yahweh's self-revelation to Israel, right? So God's been revealing himself through the law and the prophets and the wisdom literature. Jesus is the culmination of God's own self-disclosure, his own revelation to Israel. So if you don't understand Israel, you're not going to understand Jesus. But also at the same time, it, it Jesus is in his humanity, the fullness of fulfilling the vocation of Israel back to God. He is the perfectly faithful one. So I say all this because the continuity between the Old Testament and the New Testament is the foundation of understanding Catholicism. So we have a hierarchical church. Why? Because when Jesus reestablished Israel into the new Israel of God, the church, he chose 12 apostles. Why 12? That's not an accidental number, right? It's not like, well, this is the most men I can manage engaging in direct formation. No, that's not why. He was reconstituting Israel, the 12 tribes. That's why he says in, in Luke's gospel, um, you will sit on 12 thrones and judge the 12 tribes of Israel. But he also chose 70 handpicked disciples, 70 or 72 um, handpicked disciples. Why do you do that? Well, that's what Moses did at the foundation of Israel after Sinai to have these judges over the people, right? So Jesus is consciously recapitulating, rebuilding, but in a fulfilling way, the Old Testament world. So this is the part that I think is the bridge for many people to see, like, where do you get all this complicated hierarchy and ritual and all this stuff is you get it from Israel, but in its fulfillment in Jesus. So strategically, yeah, you can talk about the Pope as the prime minister in the kingdom of David. You can talk about the Eucharist as the fulfillment of the offerings of the Old Testament sacrifice culminates in the cross and is participated in by our everyday mass attendance or weekly mass. Attendance. So the goal is in order to show Catholicism, you have to build the bridge through the old to the new by means of fulfillment in Christ Jesus. Yeah. So I think for those who are like thinking they have to get a, a degree in like uh, yeah. Jewish studies or something like that, like make sure it's scriptural, right? Like continually push them to yep. the scriptures, continually push them to the scriptures. And um, what I have found, you know, there's kind of like that stigma of like, well, Catholics are not Bible Christians, but the truth is, is that. There's very, I mean, what Gomer just explained, there's not a lot of that going on in most of these non-denominational churches. It, yeah. it is mostly just the very basic kerygma. And so like making sure that they have the breadth of the scriptures is going to help them to continually ask questions about where they're at and what they're doing. And I would also say like evangelizing relationships don't end, right? So like it's really important to do this within the context of relationship if you can, right? So it's not like you're going to like make your argument and hope that they make the right decision. Like don't, yeah. don't base it all on that. Right. You have, you have a lifetime with these people, hopefully. Um, and if not, remember that God is leading them to the places that they need to be. So I, I would, I would just a caution to not put too much stress on like the one argument that you make. Yeah. Um, and more just like, you know, lead them along in a relationship. So. One thing that I think we're nervous about as Catholics, sometimes we paint everything as either or, 
Um, and I mean in terms of people's conversion into Christianity. Like Catholics get nervous, right? When you hear like, oh, so-and-so became a Protestant. And it's like, well, I'm happy they have faith. I'm happy they <laughs> right, love Jesus, right. but I wish I'd have the fullness of the faith in the church. Right. And, blah, blah, blah. Right. and I, I get that. But one of the things that I've seen, uh, Dr. Hahn mentioned this years and years ago where he said when a Protestant, when a Catholic becomes Protestant, often, you know, like evangelical, often he or she is deeply resentful of their Catholic past because they were never given the charisma. They were never yeah. given Jesus in terms of a, a person to be loved rather than just, you know, whatever, some abstract, usually watered down hippie thing. But um, when you have the opposite, when a Protestant becomes Catholic, when an evangelical reads and prays and studies their way into the church, you have the opposite. You have people who are thankful for their past and they don't discard it. Pope John Paul in his document on ecumenism said, when someone enters into the Catholic church from, you know, the separated brethren, we want them to bring their gifts into the church. So I say all this by saying, right. you know, number one, they're on a journey. They're not dead yet. Their heart still beats inside. <laughs> so they, they can still come to the fullness of revelation in Christ Jesus in the Catholic church. <laughs> but at the same time, maybe the Lord is, this is the both hand approach. Maybe the Lord can use this time in the non-denominational church because he's sharpening your friend's um, faith in the person and work of Jesus. Because so many Catholic churches are terrible about emphasizing the person and accomplishments of Christ and faith in Christ and what that radical faith means, because we're so just uh, damnably bad at that, oftentimes I think the Lord uses the evangelical world and the Pentecostal world to fan into flame this, this baptismal thing that they have in their hearts. And so we like I'm I, I was just talking with a woman the other day and she's like, you're telling me the last 38 years of my life outside the Catholic Church has been wrong. And I'm like, no, what I'm saying is it's it's a preparation so that when you stand before our Lord and receive him in the blessed sacrament, you do it knowing that you've been a motorcycle evangelist and, and living radically for the gospel. And when you receive the Jesus, you won't take a single thing for granted. Right. And many of these Catholics that are sitting in the pews lifelong, never left the church. Many of them are. So don't give up on your friend in the sense of becoming Catholic. Rejoice that they have the charisma and that they're they're pressing forward in faith. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. All right. You want to go on to the next question? Yeah, I love I, I love this question. Oh, wait, 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 wait. I have to do this. Standard every knee shall bow thing. It's time to give you a book recommendation. Uh, for your atheist friends and understanding how to connect it to Catholicism, I'm going to recommend two books. They sound like the same thing, but they're a little bit different. The original book was by Dr. Peter Kraft and Father Ronald Ticelli, and it's called The Handbook of Christian Apologetics. It is a mere Christianity approach. It ends with basically like faith, hope, and love, but doesn't get into specific churches. It was written and published by InterVarsity Press, which is a, a you know interdenominational um, publication. And then they came out with Handbook of Catholic Apologetics um, about, I think about a decade ago. And not only did they update their arguments, but they also added a bunch in advocacy for the Catholic Church in particular. And um, both of those books are worth having. I've owned Handbook of Christian Apologetics for 25 years, and uh, I have given away <laughs> all of my all of my copies of Handbook of Catholic Apologetics seems to float away. So those books are excellent in just getting giving you arguments, but because they add that Catholic component now at the end, you can see how that all ties together. Yeah, awesome. Cool. The next uh, question is entitled "Requiring Alpha." Says she's Jenny says, hello, gentlemen, big fan of the show, and I hope this email finds you well. We hope you are well, too, Jenny. I'm looking for some assistance or thoughts on something that our pastoral council is considering as a result of divine renovation. 
that being requiring the completion of Alpha for parents of sacramental year children in order for them to receive their sacraments. We offer traditional CCD, homeschool, and have a Catholic school as part of our parish. We also have Alpha on a pretty regular rotation throughout the year, so it would not be difficult per se. What I'm wondering is if you are aware of many United States parishes who have successfully implemented this as a requirement, do you have any recommendations for moving this forward? Are there any canonical implications? I believe diocesan approval would be necessary for sure. Uh, anyway, thank you for any guidance or thoughts on this. I truly enjoy your show. Keep up this great work of ministry in Christ, Jenny. Uh, this, is, uh, this is a great question. It this is. is a great question. It is. Because right now you have Alpha being advocated from a lot of different places, especially to assist uh, that very charismatic um, proclamation that we were talking about. And you have a lot of rock solid Catholics that advocate for Alpha, not just within the divine renovation community, but also in the forming intentional disciple community and whatnot. And they're seeing a lot of fruit there. So yeah, my, my initial thoughts are, I am always hesitant from a canonical perspective to approach the sacraments with, Hey, let me add more things and more things and more things. It bothers me because with a lack of community and a lack of knowledge, so when we have these mega parishes, you of necessity have a lack of community. It absolutely, you, you can have sub-communities, but the parish as a whole is not a community. So that means your pastor is not going to be able to know your people. So he doesn't know what your people need in order to celebrate the sacraments worthily. So what do we do? We create programs. My, I, I always have a nervousness around this. I'm, I run all the sacramental prep programs at my parish, right? We have, we have 300 and, uh, 300 and we'll just say 40, 340 kids preparing for first Holy communion. Right. I don't, I don't know them. I don't know them all. So create programs. Right. But when I see their parents, so I ask this question of fifth graders, raise your hand. If you've been to confession five times, two kids, raise their hand four times, you know, maybe five more, three times, two times. How many of you have only gone once? And I would say of all the kids in the room, 80, 80 to 90% of the kids have only been once. Now that's not a failure of the kids. It's a failure of the parents. I said that last night, in my parent meeting, <laughs> which is a lot of fun. So the tendency is to constantly want to add in order to make the parents have faith, get the kids to have faith. And, uh, canonically, I think there, there can be a big problem with that. Dave, what do you think? Yeah, I, I'm not sure if there is. Uh, I've, I've gotten into this, like the weeds on this before. I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent sure if there is like a hard and fast canonical issue, but I do know for sure that it will be a diocesan issue. Like that, that yeah. is going to, it probably will be an issue for you diocesan wise. And so, but I, but I want to say, I want to say this, L let's take the alpha off of it and just say it, it would, would it be okay to require a kerygma series? Yeah. Or a yeah. Um and I I I like the idea and I like the sentiment. What I have found is that requiring usually causes more problems than it solves. So like saying like in order for your child to receive this sacrament, your parents must do this, it usually brings people into a situation where they're not as open. Now what I have found is sneaking the charisma into meetings sneaking the charisma into everything yes. that you can do um that is extremely extremely fruitful and then offering those series i have found that to be very good i i 
we have a fantastic in, in Pittsburgh here. We have a fantastic um, catechetics person in the diocese. Before she was there, I, I remember requiring um, a, a once a month class for parents, and it was during CCD. We served breakfast and everything like that, and I got ripped by the diocese. I remember the, uh, the lady who was in charge at that time was not happy about it. Um, and it was literally just, you know, just a class on who Jesus is, you know, and it was rough. Okay. And, and I remember, you know, being upset with the diocese, but then I kind of like said, okay, I'm never going to say that it's required. I'm just going to offer it. I'm not going to say it's not required. I'm also going to make sure that I'm, you know, uh, incorporating the charisma into all of the other times I see them. And I'm going to be really active about evangelizing, you know, and that really, that really paid more dividends in the end than that, than like requiring it. So I don't, I don't necessarily advocate for it. I love where your head's at. And I, and I think it's important. There's no question because we have to, we have to evangelize. I think the better way is to try to um, become an evangelizing parish and pray that those parents get caught up. Now, this is different than a parent who's like antithetical to the faith, right? That, that's not what we're saying. Like, this is yeah. not the same situation. This is um, a, a different situation where we have a crisis of discipleship. They're, they're not, it's not disciples bringing their kids for sacraments. So right. I, I get where your head's at. I just think going the route of personal evangelization and even parish evangelization is better than having one more requirement to it. Yeah. And I love that distinction between making it a mandatory requirement versus bringing the charisma into everything you do and then inviting them to those yeah. type of charismatic things. Because here's the difference. The difference is the level of defensiveness that you put into the heart of someone yeah. just by adding the word mandatory or required and then making them jump right. through additional hoops. Right. That is that is the that is where you run into canonical trouble. And when I say that, like Dave's, you're absolutely right. There's nowhere where it says explicitly like you cannot offer alpha, you know, for whatever. Right. But what it does is it makes sure that you have the dispositions right to receive the sacraments. And when we add words like required and mandatory, those things become very sketch if you end up delaying the reception of the sacrament because of these additional things. That is where you get into like uh, difficult waters and, and troublesome waters with the, with the diocese. So what we try to do, so just yesterday, so I do family, what we call family sessions once a month. So the kids have to be enrolled in some sort of weekly thing. So Catholic school, home study, or in-person um, children's faith formation classes. They have to be a part of that. The curriculum that I use, the Faith and Life series from Ignatius Press and Catholics United for the Faith, I love it. It's very simple. If we have to go on COVID lockdown, there's an, they won't miss a, a thing. Then on top of that, we use the new St. Joseph Catechism from like 1962, uh, and that's taught by parents at home in between our sessions. And then we do our once a month session. So that's already a lot of stuff that we have. So they're in weekly formation, plus we have them do this monthly thing and some at-home stuff. So when I bring them in, so yesterday was on reconciliation and it was on the notion of forgiveness, right? So what did I do? Well, I go through the, you know, the calendar, right? Go through the requirements. I actually read a quote from the code of canon law, uh, canon 915. That's how I start off my whole meeting. Oh I think it's 915. Gosh. Yeah. Someone came up to me last year and was like, I want to shake the hand of the man who put the code of canon law in a parent handout. Uh, so, um, but it says like parents have the duty to form the kids and pastors have a duty to judge whether that kid is, is ready. Right. So that's the important message I want to get across. 
Then we go through the story of the prodigal son. I spent about 15 minutes on the story of the prodigal son. And we go through it and I talk, you know, I situate the parable. I talk through it, why Jesus made up a story to show the radical mercy of God. And then I go into the cross and how no sin is bigger than the mercy of Jesus Christ. And then I go into the kerygma more in depth. I share that. And then from that, I go into how to make a good confession. Five principles. Know your sins. Examine. Right. Know your sins. Uh, resolve not to sin again. Be sorry for your sins. Tell your sins to the priest. And then do your penance immediately. And the funny thing that I point out is the first three things happen before you ever get to confession. So you want to make a good confession, you got to do the three things before. Know them, be sorry for them, resolve never sin again. And we go through this stuff. Why would I do that? Well, because I love God, right? And I'm, it's not guilt because look at what Jesus, and I point to the crucifix, look what he already did for me to take away my guilt. So Jesus isn't sitting there being like, you better hate yourself. Jesus is there to bring freedom, right? And so I invite, I view the sacrament of reconciliation as one of the most dynamic evangelization tools that we have. Right. So this also goes to the agnostic atheist question about Catholicism. Like I build the bridge from rejection of Christ and God to the sacrament of penance by this, taking the mercy of the cross and applying it in our in a tangible way to the sacrament of reconciliation, constantly interjecting the kerygma constantly. And I don't even care about the kids at one point. I'm just talking to the parents for about 15 minutes. Then afterwards, we do 10 minutes of adoration, close in prayer and then send them home. It's one hour long. It, it, it ties together the logistics with formation, with evangelization, yeah. and we get prayer in the presence of Christ. And that's it, right? So, so if I were consulting for Gomer's Parish. Yes, I'm <laughs> going to pay you the big bucks. I would say, Gomer, you did a perfect job with that meeting. The one thing I would add is a peer testimony. That's the one thing. I would Ooh. Add. Yeah. But I love, I love where I love what you just explained. That's exactly what we're talking about, Jenny. Is you know, sneaking the kerygma into everything, and that would be my suggestion. I, I think Alpha is a very powerful thing. I have some issues with some of the episodes, but I think like a kerygma series in general is great. Offering it for CCD parents is great. Offering yeah. it for sacramental parents is great. I think putting the requirement on it, I, you just run into you run into a lot of issues that um, we. Look, we keep trying. I've been thinking about this a lot lately. We do everything we can to try to make evangelization easy. And I'm not saying that's what you're doing uh, at all. But I think that is like kind of what happens is like we think like if we require it, we can we can get ears and that way we can then make our case. But the problem is the requirement shuts the ears a lot of times. So, yeah, it builds an extra layer of divisiveness within it. Yeah. 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 Which is what we don't want to do. We don't want yeah. to do that. Unless that's what you want to do. Then by all means, go for it. <laughs> and then, in which case, that's, yeah. The yeah. the funny thing is I always end the meeting. I thank them. I thank all the people that helped make that night possible. And then I say, and parents, I want to remind you all that you are required according to the precepts of the church to attend confession once a year. If it has been longer than once a year, you are probably in the state of mortal sin and you need to go to confession. And guess what? I just talked with our priest last night, and they said they can't wait to hear your confession. When you say that in front of the kids, <laughs> you get the kids pulling on mommy's skirt and daddy's pants being like, hey, why don't you go to confession? Right, right. It is, you know, um, <laughs> that that pitch, that confession pitch, it, it always goes better than you expect it to. Usually yep. people who, like, are away from the Lord, 
are more excited to go to confession than like, like I get nervous still, you know, when I go to confession, what somebody who's been away, they're like, okay, I'm just going to do it. And they, and they, they kind of like it, you know? So, yeah, I always have to give them a pro tip when the priest raises his hand to give you absolution. Don't high five him. Yeah. So <laughs> many people high five. The priest are like, yeah, Yay, thank you for affirming. We me. did it. Like, we did it. <laughs> <laughs> we did this together. Yeah. And, and uh, again, you know what? We're, we're going to have some closing thoughts. Let's throw it out to our commercial break. Thank you so much for um, Ascension Press being such excellent partners and encourage everyone. Get the catechism in a year. Get the catechism that they just published. I have it because I'm an influencer. I have it. I love the the catechism. I love all the I haven't stuff opened it yet. I'm so added. excited to hear you say this. Oh my gosh. It is. I thought I was supposed thousand. to videotape it when you open it. To- oh, sweet Moses. I think you're right. Son of a gun. <laughs> I'm in Go trouble. Over. Come on. I know. I know. Uh, I'll put shrink wrap back on it. But I, I, I'm sorry. I'm catechizing people so much. I got to use the book all the time. But I do. I literally, my Bible is the Great Adventure Bible Timeline Bible. And my catechism now is the is their new um, white catechism, and I just love it. I just love it. Anywho, uh, text three three seven seven seven. Oh, excuse me. Text EKSB to three three seven seven seven. Get on our mailing list because we're a seasonal podcast. Now we want to make sure that you're up to date with when new episodes come out. Uh, as of today, Dave's episode that he recorded because I was sick was with the, the the guys from Tulsa from the Catholic Man Show. Oh, yeah. And that was an awesome episode. My buddy Chris Miller already emailed it to like five or six Catholics at his giant oil company that he works at. And um, I listened to it on my way home from church the other day. And I was like, man, this was an excellent episode. So make sure you stay on track. EKSB 33777. All right. We'll be right back. Father Mike Schmitz and myself wrote a new book called Pocket Guide to the Sacrament of Reconciliation. If you want to be able to cultivate virtues that oppose your dominant vices, avoid the near occasion of sin, and cultivate the near occasion of grace, then I want to encourage you to check out our book, Pocket Guide to the Sacrament of Reconciliation, at EssentialPress.com and Amazon.com. From all of us here at Essential Presents, I'm Father Josh Johnson. Welcome back to Everyday Shout Bow, folks. We are so happy to be together, me and Dave staring longingly into our webcams. <laughs> I'm not doing that at all. Just, you, you don't. You, a, you look at the screen of the a, camera. It, uh, well, that's a good point. No, I look at the screen. Yeah, the screen. Yeah. So it's so funny because someone pointed out with what's called Zoom fatigue, right? Because people become obsessed staring at their own picture. Like I look at my when I look at the screen, I look at myself. Right. Okay. I don't yeah. often look at you. I look at me and I'm like, why is my hair so flat? My <laughs> collar is folded down. I got a fat neck. What is wrong with me? And people that it's led to this is a true story. It's led to zoom dysphoria. We're, we're, uh, <laughs> isn't that so It sounds so stupid to say that out loud. It is stupid. Come it on. It is it's... stupid. But, but the rise in cosmetic surgeries, especially for one's face, <laughs> this is not skyrocketed true. Sorry. Oh my God. Since COVID because everyone's just staring. Imagine if you had face to face meetings where you had to look right next to that person was a mirror right and you would be so self-conscious about what you look like so well, i always well, was, make a point to look at the camera i i'm well, done with the screen i just well it was interesting did you see the last email we got from ascension they said we're not sure if we're going to video you guys while you record in january and i was like wait what I was like, I got to be wearing my shorts and my t-shirt to to record. That's that's my uniform. I can't be videoed. That's not. I don't have a face for that. I know. I know. My mom has told me for years, Michael, you have a face for radio, and I'm like, thanks, mom. Um, yeah, yeah. Central Press has this wonderful new studio, and uh, 
we're gonna go up there to do the batch episodes and we're like hey we we might even record video and we're like no 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 oh dear jesus whenever i interviewed someone for uh, the other podcast that shall not be named catching foxes and uh i have this youtube obsession so there's this woman who runs a podcast called or uh YouTube channel called Clean My Space. It has nothing nothing religious. She's not, I don't think she's yeah. any religion or anything. She just makes cleaning things. products. Yeah. And, and I said to her, I sent her a text saying, uh, or an email saying, hey, don't worry. It's all just audio. So, you know, don't worry about like getting all fancy or anything like that. So she hops on and she literally is just, it was like she rolled out of bed and she's like, thank you so much for sending that email. I do not feel well. And I literally just rolled out of bed. This is the best episode ever. I was like, yes, yes. Uh, Anywho, that random little tidbit. How do we wrap up this part of the show? Dave, if you were in charge of a parish's sacramental formation, what would, how would you approach first Holy communion? Let's just keep it to there. Okay, so I I would sur- I would have the 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 two meetings for sure, one for first reconciliation, one for first holy communion. So I would I would keep those. I'd make them shorter than I say on the letter in the letter, right? <laughs> yeah. I would I would start with the charisma and with the testimony, or start with the testimony and with the charisma. I would also have a first communion retreat, and um, I would I would absolutely have the parents on that retreat and when they show up we say okay kids you're going to go with this group parents you're coming with me and i'd take the parents on their own retreat so i for sure do all of that uh then i would try really hard to i don't know what your parish is like but i would try to cut the pomp and circumstance as much as possible in order to focus on the sacrament so um you know we, we've talked about this in like liturgical episodes and stuff like that but like the liturgy can be uh enthralling enough rather than you know the, the the participation so yeah yeah don't hijack the liturgy to make it extra special right, right. Uh, the death yeah. and resurrection of jesus christ is special enough right right um so for us we had a, a a retreat before they made their first reconciliation and then before they made their first holy communion and we actually broke the retreat up into the monthly sessions right ah, so instead okay. of doing one okay. three and a half hour long retreat on a saturday yeah. we've broken it out into three one hour um okay times together and then when they come for the actual sacrament of reconciliation we have now talked about reconciliation three times with Mm -hmm. the charisma three times giving them time to process to pray to think about Mm -hmm. their own lives and stuff like that so um yeah the other thing i would say when um if you're responsible even if you're not responsible for a sacrament if you're a parent if you're uh, single like how do you want to understand this stuff here's a fun nerd thing to do go online and go to the catechism of the catholic church on the sacrament so penance holy communion and copy every single one of the articles within that chapter or chapters within that article whatever it is and copy and paste it into word document then go to the code of canon law which is also for free online and go to the celebration of that sacrament and copy and paste. it's a lot shorter than the catechism is going to be and copy and paste all of that and dump that in there then if you have uh, a diocesan pastoral manual like we do go take all that information and dump that in there then get a cup of coffee sit down from the blessed sacrament or or it will don't get coffee and go to the blessed yeah, sacrament but you know sit down Weird in a prayerful posture or stuff there yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> listen all all jesus wants you to do is be comfortable um no get a cup of coffee sit down in your home or go in front of the blessed sacrament making the distinction there and uh and just read prayerfully read through it and read through, like, because what you get is, like, here's the code of canon law, 
that safeguards the dignity of the sacrament. Right. Here's the catechesis on the sacrament. Like if you see the scripture verses in the footnotes, go and read those. I do yeah. that all the time. That's a great it is retreat. So enriching. That's a great retreat. Yeah. It is yeah. so enriching for you as an individual to do this deep dive. And then finally, um, figure out ways for yourself to celebrate the sacraments that you're going to teach or that you're responsible for, that you want to help someone get into a deeper thing. I'm going to start because of the year of Eucharistic revival. Um, I'm right now writing a series of like four or five hour retreats on a Saturday or Sunday for our adult congregation. Because what I find is they all say the same thing to me. How come I was never taught this when I was a kid? Yeah. And it's like, yeah. here's how you make a good confession. Come on a confession retreat, but you know, I'll make it fancy. And so people don't know what they're getting into, but, uh, yeah, I'm like, doing the same this, thing. I'm writing about Eucharistic pedagogy right now girl, for retreats for adults. Shoot. So maybe nice. we should just compare notes. We should, we should. And this is why great minds think for themselves. All right, ladies and gentlemen, this has been another wonderful episode of every knee shall bow. Listener questions. If you got them, we want them. EKSB at ascensionpress.com. Be sure to send them in today so we can get on our magical Google Doc and we can maybe answer your question in the future. Thanks for joining us. God bless.